probably your view of him would be he's up there or out there or the, the big man upstairs or he's somewhere far away. But I'm starting to get the picture that he might actually be there. That's how most that's how most of our concepts of God tend to start to form. Is is there there's something going on out there, whether we're clear exactly on what it is or not. But we our first concept of God seems to be that He's a He's a person that's far away. Now let me ask you a question. What is it in your life and my life that tends to start to bring God closer up? What is, what is that moment? What are those things? What are those processes? What begins to happen in a person's life where God starts to move in our concept from far away to close up? Well, it's usually through relationships. It's usually through a relationship with somebody who knows Him. Someone reaches out to us and reveals to us that God may be closer than we thought. How many of you in here this morning would say that it was through a relationship with a believer that you came to start a relationship with Christ. How many of you would say that? It's through a relationship with another believer. Lift your hand real high if you'd say that. Some other believer had an influence on you. Look around in the balcony. You can participate too. All right, there you go. Good. I knew you were up there. Yay, I see you. Go Colts. All right. How many of you would say that it was through a relationship that you begin to know God through a relationship with a person. So what happens is, as God starts to move from this far away thought to this up close and personal, if God's talking to me through this guy over here, God's talking to me through this relationship over here, God may be closer to me than I thought. The essence of the kingdom of God is relationships. Relationships are the nature of it. The DNA of the kingdom, if you could put it under a microscope and analyze it and break it apart, the DNA of the the kingdom of God is relationship. From the beginning of time, God has stood on the platform of nothing and whispered to us, I want to relate to you. When I was a um, teenager and first came to know Christ, there was a very interesting guy that came to our church from Duluth. He had a really thick accent. Duluth, Minnesota. He was from Duluth, Minnesota. And he moved down. He was a newlywed. He was a young guy. And I only remember two things about him. One is his name. He had a very interesting name. His name was Mike Hale. Not H-A-I-L or H-A-L-E. H-E-L-L. Mike Hale. I don't know if you can hear that. He had the funniest joke. As they were young newlyweds, it, it wasn't long before uh, his wife conceived and they were going to have a baby. And he used to joke with my pastor, I think my wife and I are going to raise a little. I'll let you use your imagination. The only other thing that I remember about him is how much I loved being around him. I remember going over to his apartment one day, I knocked on the door. Hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm eating. I said, well, what are you eating? He said, the word. And he was sitting there at a table with his Bible open eating raisin bran. He was just, he was just eating both. He was the kind of guy that was, I don't know, when I was with him, 
I felt like I was somehow, somehow closer to God. Somehow I found, somehow I found God in the closeness of that relationship that I didn't always find him everywhere else. So in this second message, explore finding God in the close places. We find God in those close up places where we get closer and closer and closer to other believers. And it's in that closeness that we begin to find God in a way that we don't find him in the distance of loneliness. We find God in relationship. I didn't expect God to be there. I thought God lived in the sanctuary. I thought we'd just go on Sunday and visit him. You know, like a relative that was incarcerated or something. Go and visit God in the sanctuary. That's where he stayed. But I turned around and realized that God had followed me out and was actually talking to me now through these other relationships in my life. There's one dominant thought throughout the entire Bible. God wants to have a relationship with you. How do we know that? We come to know that most often through the relationships in our own life. Let me give you some examples from the Bible. David found God in his closeness to Jonathan. Elisha found God in his closeness to Elijah. Proverbs says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You find God's wisdom in a multitude of godly counsel. In the early church in the book of Acts, you can see how the Holy Spirit was moving. And the believers in those days, the Bible said, would meet from house to house. And it was in those house churches, it was in those small house meetings that those early disciples found God in that close place. When the apostle Peter misunderstood the kingdom and decided that he was going to only eat with his Jewish friends and not with his Gentile believer friends... The apostle Paul came into his life and got close up to him. And the Bible says, Paul said, I I opposed him to his face. Because he was operating in prejudice. But guess what? In the closeness of that moment with the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter found God. He was talking to him right there in the middle of it all. Proverbs says that iron sharpen iron, so one man sharpens another. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them also. Did you know the first small group was the Trinity? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed in the book of John, my prayer for you is just as I and the Father are one, that you and the others may be one. You and the disciples, you and the other believers may be one. There is a community inside the Godhead. And it's interesting that the very first thing that Jesus did when he came to earth was he didn't establish an institution, he set up a small group. He called 12. The kingdom of the enemy is mechanical. It's about gears and pulleys and levers and bureaucracy. It's about external power. Satan builds power through control and bondage. 
Satan organizes his power by operating through back channels. But now listen to this. The kingdom of God is organic. It's organized but living. It's complex but simple. It's about connectedness. It's about internal power, not external power. Jesus builds power not through bondage or control, but through freedom. Jesus organizes His power, listen to this, not through control. Jesus organizes His power by giving it to everyone. Isn't that what Acts says? But when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you shall be empowered. You shall have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way the kingdom of God works. And you will be my witnesses. You could replace every law. If you've ever ever been in a lawyer's office, you can look at at an entire uh, shelves and rows of books that catalog the laws that we have on record to make an orderly society. You know what that is? That's man's best attempt to provide order. God provides order in a very... Uh, complex but simple way. If we would only follow God's only two laws, we would have complete order. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. That's the difference in the kingdom of the enemy and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is held together by relationship. Now look at John chapter 21, 15 through 17. And I want to show you an area in the scripture where where we see this kind of relationship played out. John 21, 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let me give you the the backdrop of what happened just before this, then let's talk about what this is. The Apostle Peter had failed miserably. He denied the Lord three times. He went back fishing again. He's been out all night, and he's caught nothing. The quiet night air and the moving of the water that must have brought him so much familiar comfort is now just a reminder that he's gone all the way around the world and back because his failure has taken him back to the very spot that he started in when Jesus found him. He stood on the bow of the boat, throwing that net over, dragging the water, trying to find fish, trying to find fish, nothing happening. His mind must have been deafened by the silence. His mind must have just been racing. Was it real? I mean, was it a dream? Did it all really happen? Well, I guess it doesn't matter now. I'm right back where I started. Does God care? 
Is he real? What do I do now? I guess I just go back to doing the only thing I know how to do. I guess I just fish. Jesus moves on to the seashore. He shows the the crew where to catch fish. And then as they're on their way in, he prepares a fire. And then he prepares breakfast for the crew of that boat. And as they share a meal together, now listen to this. Jesus' sheer presence and hospitality. This is the man that denied he even knew Jesus three times. And now he's sitting across a campfire at breakfast with him eye to eye. The fact that Jesus even showed up had to speak volumes to the Apostle Peter. Don't you know what I did to you? Yes, of course he knows. He predicted it. Don't you know I lied about you? Don't you know I cursed when they even asked if I knew who you were? Why are you here? Jesus' sheer presence and hospitality reminds the Apostle Peter of the most important message in the Bible, the most important message we can glean from creation, the most important message that God has ever sent to us. It's that God wants to have a relationship with us. And now here Jesus is, quiet, together, staring in the eyes of the Apostle Peter across a campfire, saying one thing with his body language, Peter, I came back for you. I came back because I want a relationship with you. The conversation then takes an unpredictable turn. The first question Peter could have received is a rebuke. Do you love me? Well, Lord, that's a fair question. After the way I've acted, I know you've got to be wondering if I love you or not. Yes, Lord, I love you. The second time, do you love me? All right. Now you're just starting to hurt my feelings. Why are you picking on me, God? Yes, Lord, I love you. The third time, do you love me? Lord, I can't hide from you. You know everything. It's interesting that most of the times that I've heard this mess- messages from this story, we tend to focus more on Jesus' questions than Jesus' answers. Or we focus on the fact that in the Greek, uh, the, the word love keeps changing words throughout the exchange. I don't want to focus on Jesus' questions or the apostles' answers. I want to focus on Jesus' answer. Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, you know, I love you. And then he answered, okay, take care of my sheep. You ever read through the Bible and you read a conversation and you feel like you missed part of it? That's like not the answer to yes, I love you. You call your wife on the phone, you say, bye, honey, I love you. Feed my sheep. Did I? Have I missed something? Why don't, why don't you address your next email that way? At the, sincerely, feed my sheep. <laughs> it doesn't seem to make sense, does it? You know what I think Jesus is saying? I still love you. I still want to have a relationship with you. And what you did doesn't change that. <laughs> 
Now put your fishing net up and go do for others what I've done for you. I sat across this campfire and I loved you. Now, go take care of my sheep. I took care of you. You go take care of my sheep. You go take care of the other disciples. You go take care of those in the kingdom. Show my love to others the way I've shown it to you. It was in a relationship that the apostle Peter found God. It was in the close place. Close up. Now, Peter found God twice. Once because Jesus was there. And he's God. But Jesus would have been there... God would have been there whether it was Jesus or not. Because the Bible tells us where two or three more gather in my name, I'm there with you. So we know that His presence would have been there anyway. But we find God in that close place with other believers. What's the close place? The close place is just this. It's just a relationship with other believers. That's all it is. It's very simple. When we get close to other believers, we find God in ways that we'll never find Him alone or at a distance. The closer we get to other believers, the more we begin to see God working in our own lives. God is relational and He asks us to do two great things in the kingdom that He modeled in that exchange with the Apostle Peter. Receive care and give care. Now some of us, Some of us on the codependent side of life just want to give it. But that wasn't wasn't Jesus' model with Peter. He wanted him to receive it first. And now go and do what I've done for you. Sometimes we get stuck in our relationship with God because we're stuck in our relationship with other believers. The kingdom is an ever-deepening, spiraling A spiral of relationships. There's two powerful things that happen inside of a relationship with another believer. One is care. The other one is spiritual growth. Those two things take deeper root inside of our life. Now, what I want to do with you is share with you some of our vision for 2010. We want to move deeper in this area that we see the Apostle Peter and Jesus exchanging over a campfire. We want to do what Jesus has done through the entire Bible and through His own relationships one-on-one. Here's the deal. Are you ready? You're not going to be shocked. We have to continually send the message, God wants to have a relationship with you. We have to continually send that message to everybody. From the small group to the foyer, from the pulpit to the parking lot, that message has to keep resounding through what we say, through what we do. We want to create a culture of care. How many of you have ever been to a a culture that was foreign to you? How many of you have ever been to a culture that's foreign to you? Lift your hand up real high. Half at least or more. Great. Then you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. It's obvious When your foot hits the airport, something has changed. Isn't it? This like is not the food that mama cooks at home. And this isn't organized the way it is in America. And there's not red, white, and blue everywhere. 
And things have dramatically changed from the language, the food, the people, the customs, the sights, the sounds, the way things are done, the way people think. It's a totally different culture. That's what coming to Kingwood has to be like. When someone's car tires roll up on the property, there has to be an immediate difference. They have just left a secular culture where almost nobody cares. So when you drive onto the campus of Kingwood, there has to be an immediate difference. You have now entered a foreign culture. And it's a culture where care is normal. Where care happens. What we want people to sense immediately is that we care about whether or not they can find a parking spot. So we like won't take the guest parking if we're not guests. Don't make me have an altar call. We care about if there's enough nursery workers to care for your children. We, we care if you know how to get through the building or not. If you know where you're going. Hey, we care if you're new. We care if, if you want to get involved and don't know how. We care if you don't know many people. If you're going through some kind of crisis or not, you have to know when you arrive that you've entered into a culture of care. In 2010, we have established some things that we want to do in this area, not because we want to be friendly. That's that's not it. That's not it at all. The friendliest church in America may be the church in the greatest bondage. Just may be in bondage to having each other's approval. We don't want that. No. The God of the universe stood on the pulpit of nothing and said, I want to have a relationship with you. And the way that distant God starts to come close up to people is that they experience care. That little campfire exchange. Maybe somebody out there knows what I'm going through. Maybe God sent that guy that prayed with me to talk to me. Maybe that person that handed me the bulletin, maybe God put them there. How else will people see if they don't see through us? How else will people know if they don't know through us? So here's what we want to do. Our our vision in this area this year is to establish what we're going to call first teams. Now, one of the great benefits that we learned from the gathering is we experimented with some stuff that, frankly, we invented. (laughs) So you never know how that's going to (laughs) go. And we had enough guinea pigs to do it. No, I know I'm joking. (laughs) And, And we had enough people that were willing to do it. And you know what? The people who were doing it every week and the people who started it, our, our gathering staff, we learned some incredible things about how you can help take care of people. So what we want to do is establish, as we move the two services, it becomes even more important. We want to establish a first impression team, first teams. That will include parking greeters. You know, signs don't just give you culture all by themselves. 
text on a, on a piece of plywood doesn't just give you everything you need. When I was home for Christmas, I went to my mom's church on Sunday. And, and now look, I'm about as churched as you can get, all right? I mean, I'm like inside the deal about as deep as you can get. But I pulled on that property and there was a guy with one of those uh, old football looking strap down hats on with fur all inside it. Because it was freezing in Memphis. And I pulled on the property he went like this. <laughs> Just waving. It's right by, the, right by the place you drive. And like, I know the whole deal. I know the whole deal. But when I saw him, I went, <laughs> it just made me happy. I don't know why, it just did. You know what that is, though? I thought about that. I said, that's care. Somebody cared that you came at all. And I looked at him, and then I drove the corner, there's another one. I drove another corner, there's another one. Then I got in the car, and there's another one. They're waving at me, hey. And I thought, you know what? I can look at those guys. They're not any smarter than the people at our church, I promise you. And to be honest with you, our people are better looking. I think we could do that. We could care about people like that. The other thing is, there's that person that stands at the door at Walmart that puts a yellow sticker on you when you come in. If they acknowledge you entered the building at all. You know, remember when Walmart started that? It was like a friendly person. Hey, glad you're here. And then it just kind of degenerated. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Have you noticed it? Then they're like, uh, you got a kid. Okay, here. Now they're like leaning up on something over on the side and you got to find them. Hey, I got to return. What do, what, what do I do? Come here. Come here. Yellow sticker. There you go. Have you noticed that? It can feel that way going into church. Here's a bulletin. Here, here. People are going to come no matter what here. The deal's not just to smile or be friendly. That, that's not it at all. It may feel like to a person at least, hey, that's a friendly church. That's fine. But, but we are secret agents. We, that's not what we're about. We're not about just being nice. It's not about customer service. We don't have any customers. What it's about is the commission that we've heard from God and He's cared for us. And we want to go take care of the sheep. We want to offer care to the lambs. So, so what we want to do is not just have greeters. The, the gathering team invented something we call tour guides. It's unbelievable. We actually have a group of people that stand there and greet everyone as they come in, but that group's also mobile. They escort people here. Uh, do you have two kids? Let me show you where the kids' ministry is. They're like, oh, wow, I'm not at Walmart. This is great. Hey, let me show you where the nursery is. Hey, let me walk you over there. Do you have any questions? This is where this is. This is where this is. Do you have any questions that you didn't have answered yet? And the person goes, somebody cares. Now, that may be all it feels like initially. But as time goes by, the Holy Spirit will use those simple things to begin to lace up underneath there. The reason that these people care is not because they're strange. It's because I love them and I'm loving you through them. And the heart will begin to open.
and the mind will begin to open. So what we want to do is establish first teams. Now, now here's the other thing. What we want to do too is that parking ministry and all those other things take shape is to upgrade the outside to fit with that traffic flow. So I don't know if you've noticed when you come on the property now, it's hard to find some of the, some of the uh, lines are, uh, you know, faded and those kind of things. So what we want to do is repave the whole parking lot, restripe it all, freshen it up, clean it up, put a smiling guy with a sock cap with things on it smiling like this who can help direct people when they come on the property. I, you probably have been here often enough that it doesn't look strange to you, but when you first come on our property, you like have no idea where to go if you've never been here. But if you know where you're going, you don't notice that. But people that don't know where they're going do notice it. And so we want to we help them with that this year. Here's the other thing. We want to add a trained, here's the key word, a trained. So we're going to do some training in this area. A trained care person into every ministry team and every group. Everywhere there's a close place, everywhere there's a team, everywhere there's a home group, a small group, a life group, a, a, a Sunday school group, any kind of group at all. Everywhere there's a group in Kingwood Church, we want to train and add a person that makes sure that that group is being cared for, that care's happening there. The other thing we want to do is, is we want to invest in... Intuitive uh, software. There, there's some software that we've begun to work with, uh, and it, it sounds uh, strange that you would add this here, but what it does is it allows us to organize the relationships of our church. It's, it, it's been built by ministers, by people who've done ministry for churches to merge every database we have, to merge all the information we have, to provide... Um, a quick ability to communicate with this church body in, in, the time, in time of a tragedy, in time of an event, in time of an announcement. It gives us ways to text, to email, to do all kind of things in the ways of communication. But it also helps us organize our care. How do you keep up with all the people that are, that are doing care in every ministry team and every group and all those things? Now, let me, let me clarify the difference. It doesn't automate care. It organizes it. Automated care is marketing. Organized care is creating a care map where, where, where people are being connected and not falling through the cracks. Let me give you an example from the Bible. Do you remember when there became an uproar in the early church because there were some widows that weren't being cared for? And what, and what did... What did the church leaders do? They established the ministry of deacons to make sure that everyone was being cared for. That's all it is. It's a way to organize relationships to make sure everyone's cared for. That process also takes some administrative hours to make it work that we don't have. So we're going to have to buy some administrative hours. The other thing we want to do is upgrade our new members luncheon to include newcomers. And have them more often. The last thing is, we want to begin this year nine new small groups. Nine new small groups so people who are coming in will have a place that they can, they can get close with another believer quickly. Have quick access. Now, 
to do all of this takes a lot of consistent focus. And, and what I want to share with you, what's going to happen is Pastor Larry is going to be ministering in the area of care. He's going to be working with, he's already started working with, uh, establishing what ministries we have, what groups we have. We can identify them and begin to put a care person in them. Pastor Jeremy is going to be working, they're going to be working together, and he's going to oversee the connections part to make sure that the connectedness is happening with the software and all of that other stuff. Now... That's give care. Now here's the other one and we'll end here. Jesus' model was not just to give it, but to receive it. So, so our heart for you this year is not just to be a caregiver, but to be a care receiver. How does that happen? There's only one possible way that makes any sense at all. It's that you have to find your way into a close place. We can Look around in this room. We cannot build the kind of relationships it takes for care to happen in this room. There's too many people. It's too big. There's too much going on. But what we can do is we can build that care into a ministry team or a small group. At the beginning of this message, you were handed a brochure that gives you the outline of what we're going to do starting the first Sunday of February. Gatherings and groups. Two main gathering worship services. 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And then groups. What we've highlighted in here for you are all the groups in the church. The home groups and life groups. Now... Receive care. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning is look through here and see what group you may fit in. And we've put two um, sign-ups inside that handout. Think about it like this. One is to receive care. The other is to give care. Sounds like almost like they did it in the Bible, doesn't it? One is to receive care, the other is to give care because every believer must be both giving and receiving. Why am I asking you to try out a small group? Let me tell you why. Because for most of us in modern America, if we don't do relationships intentionally, we don't do relationships at all. We are in a culture that is getting more automated, more mobile, less connected, more tech-savvy, and more isolated. America has been called the loneliest nation on earth. Fifty years ago, churches didn't have to worry about this because people lived in relationship. We don't live in a relationship anymore. We don't sit out on the front porch and talk anymore. Most of the time, we don't know all of our neighbors' names if we know very many at all. We don't have that same sense of relationship. So we have to do relationships intentionally. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Receive care. We have an army of volunteers in the foyer this morning waiting to receive your sign-up for their home or life group. So I'm just asking you to try a group out. Now let me say this to you. You may say, I have been in my life group since Moses parted the water and the Israelites 
walked across on dry land. Why do I need to fill out a card to know which group I'm going to go to? Because your group time may have changed because we're going to go to two services and your group may not be meeting at the same time it was before. And even if it is, if you'll sign up this morning and let us know where you're going, we'll begin to get a picture how two services are going to work. So everybody, everybody that's been in a group before, sign up today. Everybody that's not been in a group before, sign up today. And as we exit this morning, you'll have an opportunity to hand those in uh, at the table on your way out. All you have to do is your life group leaders are there. If you're new and you're, there's a description in the bulletin that shows you what the groups are about. But if you want to meet someone, if you want to talk to someone, if you want to meet the leader, all the leaders are out in the foyer this morning. And they're waiting to talk to you. Now, now here's the last thing. How do we create a culture of care? We, we create a culture of care by parking greeters, tour guides, and ushers. We need about 30 to 40 ushers. 24 to 30 parking greeters and about 40-ish tour guides. What we want to do is rotate people through those ministries so you do not all three of them, but inside of them. You do different parts. You have different times. You're, you're, not, you're not locked into the one time. But we have to have the number of people that we need to make that happen. So here's what we're going to do. I think it's next Sunday night. We're going to do uh, a no-obligation information training for tour guides and parking greeters and ushers. If you want to be a part of the first team ministry, it's very simple. Fill that card out. The very first table that you pass when you walk out those center doors is going to be the drop-off point for first teams. And someone will be waiting there to greet you. Now, let me say this too. This is a great place for our Hispanic community to get involved so many times we have people that come that don't speak English. And to have team members who are bilingual or, or, at, least, or at least speak Spanish could be a great caring benefit for people as they come into the, into the building and onto the property. Now, l- the last Sunday of this month, we have to find a way to pay for the vision. So the last Sunday of this month, I'm giving you a different piece of vision every week. And the last Sunday, I'm going to ask you to make a one-year investment in making this year the exploring year of advancement that we've talked about. It will give us the fuel to drive two services and all the things that we're talking about every week.